Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. I am Tim Carstens, the Managing Director of Base Resources, a um, pure play mineral sands company uh, with a highly cash-generative operation in, in Kenya and a, uh, a significant development opportunity in Madagascar. Hey, Tim, good to see you. I haven't seen you since uh, March. Uh, I thought it was time for a catch-up. I just saw the uh, second DFS um, come out on Toliara projects and pretty big numbers in there, and we'll get to that. Um, what do you think is happening in the market at the moment? You, you've had a kind of sideways year. I know you've been busy, and we're going to get into that in a second, but it's been a sort of sideways year. You've had a bit of news coming out of China recently. Do those things affect you? Um, we're looking at sort of the macro side of things. You know, from a, a market perspective for us, it, it's been an extraordinary 12 months. Um, you know, if you go, go back to April of last year at the, at the commencement of sort of the COVID um, pandemic, there was an expectation that, um, you know, uh, our, our products, um, which ultimately majority of them make their way into, into pigments and um, ceramics and, you know, very, very much consumer-oriented, um, we're going to crater uh, as the as the world sort of slowed down, and you know, we have actually seen quite the opposite. You know, we we saw twenty twenty consumption of pigment up six percent over twenty nineteen. Um, we've seen it continue to go from strength to strength since. Um, we're in an environment that is significantly supply constrained in uh, all three of our our products of Ilmenite, Rutal, and Zircon. And um, when you look out over the horizon. Um, you know, it, it is a structurally short-supplied market um, that has got downstream customers really starting to think about how they put their foot on supply uh, and, indeed, how they facilitate new supply into the market, which you know, creates some pretty interesting opportunities for us, one with a, a big cash generator in Kuala now, but also a, a very scalable um, project in Madagascar. But, but talk about the China influence on you, because obviously it's a big market for you guys. Um, you know, things like Evergrande coming out, you know, the West is saying, oh my goodness, this could be the catalyst for a, a, economic crash. What's the reality on, on the ground that you're hearing the conversations about, you know, the size and opportunity of the market for you guys going forward? Yeah, we're, we're still, um, we're still you know, the, the best guide for us really comes from what our customers are saying to us. Um, and and one, one thing I just should uh, clarify is that, you know, the majority of our, our revenue doesn't come from China. Um, the, the biggest volume being our Ilmenite goes to China. But, you know, by revenue, you know, 75% of our, our revenue comes from elsewhere. Um, so we're much much more exposed to, um, you know, to the Western market, if you like, than, than China per se. But as far as sort of what's going on in China, we're, we're best guided by our customers and looking at their expansion plans and what they're looking to do with their businesses. Um, and, you know, that, that is a pretty strong indicator for us of, of longer term health. Absolutely. And, and, and those plans were what they were up until, say, a couple of weeks ago when the news out of China was a little bit... Negative. People are unsure about what, what's going to happen. There's announcements coming out soon. I mean, are people sort of treading cautiously there or is it just too early to say? Just in terms of yeah, market I mean, feedback, I, you know, you're, you're yeah, on the ground. I, I, don't, I don't have any direct feedback, you know, as a consequence of that. I'm not, I'm not feeling that at this point. Okay, fine. Okay. Well, let's um, let, let's talk about what you have been up to, um, which is trying to expand the life of mine um, in Kenya. We'll go with, we'll go with East Africa first. Um, so what, what have you been up to since March, since we last spoke? 
Yeah, so obviously um, one of the challenges with Kualo when we when we developed it back in late 2013 or operationalised it was it's got a relatively short mine life. It was you know, 10 or 11 years. Um, so in order to extend that, what we've been working on um, has been the identification of additional law sources and then the pursuit of tenure arrangements over those. And those who have been following us for a while would be aware of the long-running saga of the SML extension. Um, with government and um, it's been a very frustrating slow process in that we kind of reached agreement on it some time ago but we finally managed to land the documentation a week ago um, and so we now have tenure in place to take us through to the end of 2023. Um, the other thing we've been doing is working on studies looking at the North June and an, an area we call Bumamani. We put out a, a pre-feasibility study on the, on the whole thing, came to the conclusion that it wasn't um, going to be economically viable as a totality, but did identify a subset that would make sense. So we've uh, we progressed that through a specific study, got that out a couple of weeks ago, and that's showing us you know, all through to um, you know, around July 2024. Um, really looking beyond that um, will either be uh, determined by exploration success or potentially by economic circumstances when we're out there. So if prices are better than you know, we, we, we currently are forecasting for the purposes of our studies, now the, there is the opportunity to progressively step that Bumamani North June area out because it, as I said, subset of a much bigger June. Um, probably the biggest um, value or my life extension opportunity uh, comes from uh, the Carranza area, uh, which we have been talking about for a while. And the reason we've been talking about it for a while without actually doing any um, you know, meaningful exploration on it is that it's been held up with a moratorium on the issuance of new licences in, in Kenya. So we've been waiting for the, the licences to be granted. They've been moving their way through the, through the approval process. You know, most of them have passed the Mineral Rights Board approval, which is important, but they can't be issued as licences, so we can't get going on the ground. Um, we're hopeful that that moratorium, or at least an exemption to it, uh, might be forthcoming reasonably soon so that we can get uh, on the ground and start exploring. We'd also applied for the, uh, the ground in the same sort of geological setting. Um, across the border in Tanzania because the, these Caranzo licences run right up to the border. Uh, we applied for those, you know, three or four months ago and they've, they've been now granted. So we, we have tenure across the border. We're in the process of standing up our exploration crews to, to get going in there. Um, yeah, and that's that's the area we're pretty excited about that, you know, has the potential to extend our stay in East Africa, most material. Okay, a few things there. Um, if I go back to the PFS, how do you get to from a PA to PFS and then work out the economics don't stack up? Was it a very fine line, that decision-making? Did you Could you not work it out at PA stage? Um, what I was saying was that, that we did a full PFS um, and the PFS on the full June, which is 116 million tonnes and enough mining for eight years, um, it's very low grade. Um, and so it identified that the mining of the whole thing was not going to be viable. What we then did was identified from that that there was a higher grade subset that would be um, likely viable. And we had to have a look at whether that, as it came together as a you know an operational whole, would be economically viable. And that's that's what the uh, the Bumamani PFS um, uh, uh, identified. 
Got it. Okay. And but at some point, if the economics change in the market pri- marketplace, for yeah. you could go back in onto the full chain. There could be opportunity to just progressively step it out a bit, but we, we would need to see how how the world looks at the time. Right. Okay. So um, talk to me about obviously Tanzania. <laughs> new jurisdiction, new country, new opportunity, and they seem to move a little bit quicker with the with the licensing. It's a nice place to do business. Um, what you know, what's the order of play? Does that change slightly for you, given what you're seeing with this moratorium at the moment? Do you say, well, actually, time to move uh, up sticks and move? Well, look, I mean, the way the way we're looking at it is, it's the whole Karunze area that's of interest to us, straddling the border and kind of. It's slightly annoying there's a border in the middle because it creates complexity. But um, the way we're looking at the Tanzanian side of it is, you know, it's an opportunity to get in there and to understand the nature of the whole uh, whole area. So it gives us a good window in. It's, it's not that we're you know, naturally shifting our focus to Tanzania. You know, we're, we're pretty confident we're going to get the, the whole package reasonably soon, but it's an opportunity to get in there and start understanding what it really is. Um, because at the moment... Our understanding of it is based on you know, surface reconnaissance and a bit of work we've we've done with some um, adjacent license holders. What? So can I come back to the moratorium? And this this is a countrywide thing, mining generally, yes. or, or broader than that. It's not a base resources thing, right? No, no, no. It's a it's a whole of mining, um, whole of industry uh, moratorium that was was put in place at, at a presidential level. Why? Why is that? Um, the chairman of the Mineral Rights Board. Um, that is one of the key steps in the approval of licences. He um, he had some material concerns about the basis on which some licences were being issued uh, and, and felt that governance needed to be cleaned up. And so he made a, a request to the president to, to suspend granting until that could be sorted out. Now, as is often the way with these things, it takes longer to sort out than you think. And um, so here we are now, what is the best part of 20 months, actually, since it was put in place. Correct. Is that going to be slowed down by these Panama Papers thing? I think the, the president's got some questions to answer himself, hasn't he? Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that'll have any impact on it. We'll sit back and see. Um, okay. Um, so, so, right. So, not you may get an exemption. Can you speed that up? Can you affect that in any way, um, given that you've been, you're longstanding and the fact that you're employing people and you're producing? Yeah, look, we're, we're certainly you know, working to, to try and facilitate that. Um, you know, it, it, there, there is support for a, 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 the lifting of a, or, or the, um, I guess, the uh, creation of exemptions. Um, the, the chairman of the Mineral Rights Board um, has, has actually made a request, um, a formal request to, to have um, an exemption of the moratorium put in place for some of the key plants so that the industry can actually move forward. Um, so we'll, we'll see how that plays out. There, there's definitely support for that because of, you know there's wide recognition of the the fact that that has just you know ground the, the sector to a halt. It, it's kind of it must be frustrating for you, given the highs that you saw last year. You know what you've got to do. It's a fairly simple process and technically fairly simple process. Just add water, so I keep saying. Um, and there's, there seems to be a lot of it. And you're going through your studies. Which is great, and yet you're being held up sort of by the the, the paperwork, as it were. And because you know we're about to have the same conversation with regards to Madagascar in a second, I suspect. So, is what's your message to the market? Do you say, look, we 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 know what we're doing. We got the scale there. We just got to go through some steps. It's it's reasonable in mining to expect. 
delays? Yeah, look, I mean, those sort of administrative processes, um, you know, anyone who's had any experience working in Africa you know, would understand that they can take, you know, quite a lot longer. And, you know, the um, quite often there's a sense of, of um, you know, if it isn't urgent to be done today, well, let's let's leave it. And so these things can take a lot longer than you would like. They can um, take, um, you know, they can be a lot more, challenging than, than you would like. But one of the things in our 10 years or my 11, 12 years now of experience in Kenya is that you know, at the end of the day, Kenya always acts economically rationally. And you know, more often than not, there's there's nothing untoward in, in any of the delays. It's just simply a process where you know people have a different sense of priority to, to what we do. So yeah, there, there is a need to be patient and, and a need to you know, be slightly cynical, but um, but trusting. Okay. Okay. And yeah, and I agree with I agree with that. Um, with regards to you know how you can expedite things in Madagascar, you've had a little bit of you know outside input in terms of around the royalties and so forth. If you did something like that here in Kenya, would that be seen as a negative? Is it something that you you've been thinking about or considering? Um, sorry, I'm not quite. Clear well, just just in terms just in terms of like you know, could, could, could you could you go back? Could you go to the African Union? Can you go to you know outside help, whether it be um, you know other organisations, international organisations, who could not put pressure on, but at least help with yeah, the Kenyan there's, government decision there's, making. There's, there's no need for that in the context of of Kenya or in, you know or indeed you know, Madagascar. I mean, uh, what what we really hope to see, and we've been you know, really pleased with the. You know, the role that the IMF and the World Bank have played in Madagascar in in helping understanding and ensuring that you've got a government that um, understands how it benchmarks against other countries, how it um, needs to maintain competitiveness in, in in order to attract investment, and understanding what the real limits are of um, the 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 fiscal returns you can expect out of a mining project. And uh, yeah, that's the role they've been playing very strongly in in, uh, in Madagascar, in in Kenya. You know, it's it's not really you know, we don't we don't need any outside assistance. It's just you know continuing with the engagement with the government with whom we've got a you know, extremely robust, supportive, you know, collegiate relationship with ultimately. Right, and you think so ultimately, if that does get resolved, what you're seeing in Kenya and now in Tanzania, you're going to be able to extend the life of mine and the, the the numbers till when? I mean, what what should we be as investors looking um, to you to try to achieve oh, there? Look, it, it's far too premature for me to be speculating on what we might find. We, we simply haven't done the work yet. I mean, what I can say is based on the studies we've done, you know, including Bumamani, is that we, we can see all through to July 2024. Um, Anything beyond that is is going to be subject to exploration success and too early to speculate at this stage. Okay, and but that path forward is funded from cash flows, no dilution, no more market. Oh, absolutely. Raising. I mean, you know, Qualo generates an awful lot of cash. I think last year, you know, it was sixty five million in net cash. Um, you know, and the the move we're talking about as far as. Um, you know, the the Bumamani extension is is not capex heavy. It's you know really moving equipment, um, and one of the biggest costs is is just the land acquisition process. So twenty twenty four doesn't sound like very long away. Is is it a meaningful is it a meaningful addition to you to kind of get to twenty twenty four? I mean, should we be looking at it like that? 
Yeah, I, I, certainly. I mean, compared, compared to where we were without it, you know, it, it's a it's a meaningful step out. Probably more significantly is that it just gives us more runway to be able to bring, you know, to identify additional oil sources and and bring them and bring them into into play, um, and and you know, try and you know eliminate or, or at least minimise any any production hiatus if that had to be the case. Okay, well, let's talk about Toliara because obviously this DFST, it's. The numbers are, are vast, <laughs> so maybe like run through what what you've come back with uh, on this one because there's been some significant increases, and maybe let's discuss how you take it forward. Yeah, just, just to put it in context, I mean, we we released the original DFS back in July, um, July, um, December twenty nineteen. Um, showed a really robust project, um, you know, MPV six hundred and fifty million post tax. Um, sort of sort of numbers, all US dollars. Uh, yeah, um, but we we'd always anticipated the potential to expand the project uh, over time. Um, didn't didn't bake that into the DFS at that time, um, largely because we we had a sense of what the market could absorb um, based on our read of of the tea leaves at that point, and thought that was a sensible volume that we could get into the market. What's happened subsequent is we've been able to incorporate the results of um, a significant portion of the drilling we've done over 2018 and 2019 into an upgraded resource. Um, and so our oil res- and reserve, our oil reserve went up to around 900 million tonnes, um, which is about a 45% increase. So we had significant additional material to work with. Um, the the resource is still you know two and a half times that, um, so we've still got a long way to, to go until we're fully utilising it. Um, but the other thing that's happened is we've got a better read on how the market is looking over time and the the structural short supply, um, how a lot of our customers are thinking about supply. And we've been engaging in, in joint venture conversations and, and understanding the importance they see in facilitating new supply and, and putting their foot on supply. So we feel much more confident in our ability to move a larger volume into the into the market. So we've we've taken the opportunity to do release an updated DFS, which builds on that resource, incorporates that greater market um, opportunity. And what that's produced is a, a project with an MPV of over a billion dollars now. Um, you know, an RC ratio, so revenue to cash cost ratio, which is really the measure of its global competitiveness, uh, up at over 3.5. Um, just to put that in context, Quale, which is, a, you know, one of the best projects, uh, operations in the world, um, it, it got to its peak at about 2.8. At the moment, it's about 2.5. So very, very significant um, operation. We've extended my life. We're now out to 38 years in this DFS2. Um, over the 38 years, um, net cash of just short of six billion. And it's it's a really robust project that is uh, it's really reinforced what we always thought was the the massive opportunity there, and um, you know, it's just reinforced that. Um, now we've kind of parked all of that study work. We've taken it as far as we can. We've taken the funding discussions and and debt funding as far as we can. The whole focus now is just on engagement with government and to a lesser extent community. Um, except to the, you know, the, the extent that that's relevant to pushing government. It's all about getting the government deciding it's ready to move forward. 
Absolutely. Like I say, some pretty big numbers in there. I guess you're not concerned about how you get this thing funded. So people shouldn't concern themselves too much about that. And it's also multi-cycle, so it's very attractive for any potential partners you may want to bring in too, I suspect. It's, it's, a, it's a world-class project. And you, know, you take the philosophy that world-class projects like this ultimately get funded. How all that comes together, you know, there's still quite a bit of work to do in that. Um, you know, the CapEx is not insignificant. And the total funding requirement for this project is around 700 million US dollars. So, you know, it's a lot. Um, you know, we, we have done a lot of work on debt facilities with our, our sort of relationship lenders and a lot of the, um, the DFIs and, and the IFCs of the world who are, you know, very keen to participate. A lot of appetite. Um, so we're comfortable that a 60% sort of debt gearing ratio should be uh, at least achievable. And then we're looking at a, a material joint venture participation or some variation thereon um, to provide another big chunk of, of the, uh, the funding. And then as soon as we've got clarity on um, you know, FID for the project, you know, the, the market could expect based on what we've been communicating as our capital management strategy that the, the dividends we've been paying, we've basically been liberating all of the cash coming from Qualy over the last year, um, you know, could expect that that would be turned off and, and applied to you know, funding the balance of, of the, uh, the Toliara development. I'm surprised that they, the you're aiming for 60%, not higher, given the track record and the cash being spun out of quality. Is that just a conservative thought or do you, do you have ambition? Uh, look, it, it's a combination of a few things. It, it's, a, it's a starting hypothesis. You know, the, the project itself has significant ability to carry greater debt than that. It really comes down to your level of comfort you know, with levels of gearing. Um, yeah, so we have the ability to flex it, um, but it just we just need to see how that overall package comes together from a risk profile point of view. Um, you know, we, we learned some valuable lessons back during the uh, the Qualy years where you know, we, we significantly debt funded that to 60% and then we went through a significant downturn. Um, and while we we, you know, we never fell sort of foul of our, 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 our lenders, you know, it, it certainly created some, some challenges and some heartache over a year or two. Okay, well, let's talk about the conversation with the government. Obviously, that, that's been sort of, you know, in process for a while now. I think COVID's come along and perhaps, you know, delayed things a little bit further. But have you been able to advance the conversation since I last saw you? Yeah, look, I mean, if, if you take a big backward step, um, the, the challenge or part of the challenge that we have is that Madagascar has had two very large mines. Uh, we, we would come along as the, the third development and we're a, a distant third behind the first two. You know, the first was Rio's QMM operation um, and the second was the giant Ambatavi nickel cobalt um, development, $9 billion development. Um, neither of those have really delivered quite what the government would have liked and expected at the time because of you know, challenges with profitability. They haven't generated the, um, you know, the tax take, they, you know, perhaps the royalties haven't been what they would have liked. So, so there's been this sort of sense of disappointment. Um, and so that creates a bow life where you've got a government that sees its next big mining project coming along and wants to make sure that it benefits appropriately from it. Completely legitimate, sensible um, position for a government to take. The second thing that then layers over the top of that is, is a relative lack of understanding of um, the realities of, of um, 
mining economic participation in terms of what is required for a country to be competitive uh, to attract that investment. Um, so back in December 2019, the government actually threw out a, a draft mining code uh, revision that went from a 2% royalty uh, to introducing a, a concept of a 20% production share, you know, which is you know, the equivalent of a 20% royalty. Um, that very quickly got withdrawn uh, when there were howls of protest from everyone from the World Bank down. Um, and so one of the challenges we've had over the last 18 months been progressing this discussion has been getting or seeing advice getting injected into the government side of, of thinking. And, you know, we've had the IMF in there, the World Bank in there, and, and the thinking has unquestionably moved um, to the point now where we've relatively recently um, seen some draft changes to the mining code that um, have a 4% royalty on, on products like ours. So moved a very long way. That's not out of step with the discussions we're having. Um, so we're, we're sort of, you know, I think, I think we're heading towards an outcome that's going to make sense for all parties. Um, the other thing that comes into play um, with these sorts of projects is you know, a big capital investment like this is a political chip for you know, a, a president to play. And you know, they've got to make the, you know, the, the political calculations as to when it's the right time to step forward with that. And so they're all factors that, that impact on timing. But um, we're, we're at, a, at a point now where we've put our best foot forward. Uh, we think there's an outcome there that can be a win-win for both parties. It's really now a question for when the government decides it's the right time to step forward. Um, certainly everyone that matters is, uh, is, is telling, telling uh, the government that <laughs> that time is now. Right. But, but you're not making any predictions. In terms of just setting expectations for your shareholders, anyone looking at this project, you're not putting any no, demands. We've, we've, we've very clearly stepped away from, from making predictions. We, we made that decision back in April last year. We said, look, we simply don't have sufficient clarity on it to, to or control to be able to say that's when the FID is going to vote. Um, having said that, the, the definitive uh, DFS2 that we've just released is based on an assumption, if you like, of an FID at the end of uh, December next year. Uh, in order for that to be a reality, we would need to see fiscal terms and the lifting of the suspension um, agreed by the end of January uh, of 2022, because we've got about 11 months of work we need to do to, to get to that, um, that, that uh, FID. So that's, that's the assumption that underpins the DFS um, and you know, certainly something we'd very much like to... Uh, yeah, for, for, for sure. So, so just one again, just setting expectation. They said, right. So a decision needs to be made. We're not going to put a timing on that one. It, 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 it could be next week. It could be end of next year. Who, who knows, right? Let's let's say th there's a thing. Then there's a, some work that you've got to do, 11 months or so work that you've got to do to get to FID, during which time, if you haven't already done so, you're sounding people out about the, the finance and getting financing into place. You'd expect at the point where you, you've got a financial decision to make, um, that you'll have subject to type agreements with with funders, or is there still a lot of work? Uh, to no, we, uh, our, our our idea at FID is the the point at which you're ready to push the button and start building because you are funded. Okay. Um, so we we've done a lot of work in progressing both the debt and and taking you know conceptual JV discussions forward to the point where we take them as far as it makes sense to until we have one clarity on fiscal terms and therefore economics uh, and 
probably more importantly, timing. Okay, so I guess it's the the, the interesting bit could be this, the theoretical JV type conversation in terms of who possibly, what sorts of companies and where they are in the world. That that would be interesting to um, start to understand at some point further down the line. Okay, and then the build period is what? 26 months, um, 26 months. from okay. from go to work. So from from FID to waving goodbye to the first vessel. Okay, so if we start if we start tomorrow, just just over three years, and you could be yeah. in business. So okay. based on the DFS, so let, let's say you know we get the fiscal term sorted out, suspension lifted in January, um, FID in December next year, um, first vessel will be disappearing. Call it March twenty twenty five. Got it. Okay, understand. I think that's just worth worth understanding there. Um, yeah. Between now and then, and given you're producing cash, do you feel under any pressure by your shareholders or your institutional uh, investors to say, well, maybe just a little bit of M and A to kind of bump that revenue up now might might be uh, attractive to us, or do you think actually, given what the, the financing that you've got coming down the line, would that be just too much pressure? Um, look. <laughs> As you, you would appreciate, um, shareholders come in all sorts of different flavours with all sorts of different um, views on on what are your strategic imperatives right now. Um, you know, it, it's, it, there's no question that as we've sort of been, you know, walking up towards that end of the defined mine life for Kuala and we're becoming increasingly dependent on exploration success and we're seeing Toliara stretching out, um, and you know potentially now introducing a hiatus in cash generation between a Kuala and a and a Toliara coming on, um, and the fact that we don't necessarily control don't control the timing around Toliara, you know, we're certainly having a, a pretty close look at at how we might go about um, expanding our option set um, to to give ourselves you know, a few more chips to play in the, in, in the way those pieces fit together. So yeah, it's certainly something that's exercising the mind uh, at the moment in, in how we um, complete the puzzle. Right, and and, and just, uh, just to help people understand the sorts of pressures, not pressures, the, the thinking that, that you, your board goes under is like, if, you know, say if revenue did drop off at Kuala for whatever reason, because you're waiting on a couple of things there, and Toliara will take, you know, as long as it takes. Um, does, does that... For you as a business, for you as a CEO, cause problems in terms of future funding. Because if I'm looking at your, you know, revenue projections and they're a bit up, a bit wavy, yeah. I'm a little bit more nervous about having the conversation with you. Is that a problem you're trying to fix? Do you think? Oh, look, it, it's certainly not ideal to to go from being a, a strong cash generator to 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 not generating cash. Um, how big an issue that is really depends on how long it is. Um, you know, how long are you surfing between and how much clarity do you have about how far away the, the next lily pad is and, you know, how your funding packages come together. But, you know, the, the more that stretches out, the more uncomfortable you become. Um, and I, I guess one of the other things that plays into it is, you know, our objective had always been to go from being a single asset, single jurisdiction company to, you know, Minimum you know, next step was two assets, two jurisdictions, two cash flows. Um, you know, even even with Toliara coming on, Kuala you know falling away. Even if everything lines up again, we don't really want to go back to being single jurisdiction, single asset again. Just 
moved from Kenya to Madagascar. Um, so we, we, you know, we're, we're constantly thinking about how we, we create that, that transition to, um, you know, to multi-cash flows in the most sensible way uh, and in a way that presents the sort of profile that, that keeps shareholders um, comfortable. Yeah, and, I, and so I guess that kind of, because we've had questions sent in about, oh, should they buy this company, that company, whatever, you know, and they're all at different places in terms of their their growth, some some production, small production, but production nevertheless, and that, again, flattens some of these curves potentially. But again, addressing the same sort of um, problem that you're, you're trying to solve here, does that sort of give us a clear the sorts of uh, options that you're looking at in terms of the size of the companies or possibly the fact they're going to be in other jurisdictions? Uh, look, I mean, I, I wouldn't give you any steer on um, you know, size or, or jurisdiction. I mean, because to a, to a certain extent for us, you know, it, it, we're, we're kind of jurisdiction agnostic in the way we think about things. We're very much, you know, value creation-led, project-led, you know, is it the right opportunity? And then you look at the jurisdiction. Is it somewhere we, we think we can operate? Um, and more to the point, is it a sort of asset palette that um, solves the, you know, you know for the, the current um, gaps in the jigsaw puzzle? Um, and, and we look at lots of things and think about lots of things. So it's, it's far too sort of premature to be speculating about the shape of that at this stage. It's just a, a thought process that, that's becoming, you know, more in, into clear focus. Yeah, I just think you know, if, if with the, the skill set that your management team has got now, with the track record that it's got now, it's obviously attractive to to funders. If you were to talk about that, that's not a that's not a, a big shift in terms of um, an idea, is it? No, no, it's not. Um, but you know, things have to have the appropriate shape to them to be able to you know sensibly talk about it, um, yeah, be, because there are you know, vastly different outcomes and I, I don't want people you know, jumping to conclusions about what it means when it's, you know, the, the, there's not that degree of resolution to it yet. As soon as there is um, and then there is a, a clear um, sort of pathway forward for us and, and the shape of what we're trying to do with that, um, you know, we'll, we'll be stepping forward with the story. Okay, so you're not looking to create headlines just for the sake of the, the share price, you're under no pressure. No. Right. Okay. No, that's that's uh, not not our style at all. You know, we're we're very much sort of keep it straight and and, and clear. You know, let's not let's not lead with stories and then backfill with with reality. Let's let's walk everyone forward on the basis of what it is we're doing and what we're going to be able to deliver. Okay. So that said, what's the big thought you want to leave for your shareholders and people looking at this project with? Yeah. Look, I, I think the, um, the 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 big thing for our shareholders is that we are. You know, very heavily focused on extending the on life in Kuala, um, you know, landing these fiscal terms with government in Madagascar. You know, we do have a reasonable basis for believing that we're going to get there with both of them. You know, timing is the thing that's you know, uh, more so from from a Taliara point of view that's that's uncertain. Uh, and in and in the interim, we're having a look at how we you know we best broaden our option set. Um, you know, to deliver that sort of multi-asset, multi-jurisdiction company that we've um, we've been very clear we're, we're we're looking to get to. Okay, but cash profile falling off, but not well within bounds, and you're comfortable. Yeah, I mean the cash profile for the next few years, um, you know, at Kuala still stays extremely robust. When, when we move through to um, to Bumamani and that area, it, it does drop away, um, being being lower grade, uh, and then we'll you know we'll see what what 
the um, the exploration outcomes look like. Uh, it, it might be a relatively short period that we you know, that we, we see that cash drop off depending on what we find. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.